God's word for us today is from Daniel in chapter 3. Powerful encounter between three godly men and an ungodly king. It's going to teach us about the first commandment and actually Father's Day as well. We begin Daniel chapter 3 in the second half of verse 14. This is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. This is the word of the Lord. There's an ancient Cherokee Indian ritual for a boy becoming a man. The father takes his young son out into the forest, into the deepest of the forest at dusk. As the shadows are lengthening and it's getting dark, he sits his son on a stump. The son has been there before with dad, and dad has certainly explained the forest. They've gone hunting together. The dad, again, explains the dangers of the forest. 
the predators, the coyotes, the wolves, the bears, the enemies that could be lurking in the shadows. But then he says to his son, who wide-eyed is hearing this from his father, I'm going to take this blindfold and I'm going to put it on you, son, and you're going to stay here in the forest all night. Although there might be predators and there might be enemies, your courage will protect you. And in the morning, when you see the lights, the light of dawn peering through your blindfold, you can take your blindfold off and come safely home. Then you will be a man. So the father puts the blindfold on his son. It's, it's totally dark. And the battle begins. The battle of fear and faith and fortitude in this boy's heart. He's certain that there's wolves that he can now hear howling at the moon and coyotes crying around him. He's certain they're circling in closer. He can hear them getting near. And he knows that there's an enemy behind that tree ready to pierce his heart with an arrow. And he wonders, am I going to die? But even if I do, I must Prove myself to be a man for my father, like my father, who did this same ritual, and he survived. I can too. For my father, like my father. And his courage prevails. Morning light comes, peeks through his blindfold. He takes his blindfold off and immediately notices a shadowy figure in the dim morning light next to him. He recoils, ready to strike, thinking it to be an enemy, and only then realizes that this companion has been with him the entire night and is there now, and it is his father. Where is your forest where God has blindfolded you, where you can't see all of his grace and all of his goodness, and he calls you to trust and to believe and to have courage. Today we see that the first commandment for us is a forest where God blinds, blindfolds us and asks us to trust in him and his greatness. Today we see that the first commandment for these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is a fire. And it calls them to be loyal to God no matter what the consequences. But here's the important lesson. Don't miss this. This is the biggie. God is in the forest. God is in the fire. God is in the first commandment. And so it's his greatness. That's what he's protecting by the first commandment. With every commandment, God is protecting a blessing that he has for us. The blessing in the first commandment is his glory and his greatness. And so the first commandment reminds us of the greatness of the God in whom we believe. And his grace and goodness are, are beyond what we can imagine and beyond what we can see, which means that we need to believe. These three men didn't understand, couldn't see everything. As a matter of fact, if they relied on what they saw, they saw themselves to be dead men, thrown into this blazing furnace, but they believed. They believed that God was in the fire, and he was. 
The first commandment teaches us to fear God in the fire. Deuteronomy 5, verse 22, Moses is recalling giving the commandments to the people. And he says this, These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice there on the mountain from the fire. Fire is serious business. Fire, whether we're talking about firearms or getting fired, fire is serious business. So when Moses says that God gave the Ten Commandments from the fire. God is telling us the Ten Commandments are serious business. This is not like optional settings on your iPhone. You can choose yours. I'll choose mine. We're both doing fine. This is not like recipe hints where you can veer off a little bit, kind of make it your own little flavor. The Ten Commandments are serious business with serious consequences. The three men in the fiery furnace knew this understood it in a decision that really could cost them their own lives. And it played out. I want to give you some background about this. These three young men, probably 18, 19, 20 years old, were God-loving Israelites who were living happily in their homeland in the 6th century B.C., until world power and empire Babylon invaded their country and their city. And when Babylon invaded, it, they didn't kill everyone. Their strategy was to take the strongest and the smartest, especially the youngest, of the citizens of Israel and, and bring them to Babylon and incorporate and assimilate them into the culture so that eventually they, and especially their children, would just be taking up the, the new worldview of the Babylonian Empire without even questioning it. It's called assimilation. And so these three men were among the artisans, the professionals, the professors, the, the tradespeople, um, the military officers who were taking from their homeland to Babylon to live and to work. So there these men were, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God-loving Israelites in a foreign land, doing everything they could to continue fearing and loving and trusting in God above all things and honoring and obeying the Babylonian Empire and government, which was fine until those two things collided. And when they collided, they would not say no to God they would say no to King Nebuchadnezzar and to the Babylonian government. So Nebuchadnezzar had set up this golden image in a very public place and pronounced everyone who's in this public place, when the music plays, will stop, will bow down to the image. And everyone did except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 14 says, Nebuchadnezzar is questioning them now why they didn't bow down. Is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylon, the Babylonians, you say that fast five times. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians weren't too interested in the gods that the people worshipped in their own hearts, in their own homes. They didn't go knocking on doors uh, like the pullet's eye and, and pull people out of their homes. They didn't really care. But the god that you worshipped in the public place, they cared very much. 
you needed to worship the gods that everyone else was worshiping. You know, in our religious worldview today, we have a very similar teaching. The name of that religious tenet in our world today is pluralism. And pluralism in today's culture says you can believe privately in your own God, but when you believe and practice religion publicly, you need to publicly believe in many gods. There, there can be any number of gods that are legitimate, and you should worship any number of gods that are out there. All religions are equal. As a matter of fact, they're all good except for religions that claim that they have a special claim. Those are not legitimate. All religions are legitimate except for ones that want to say other religions are invalid. That's the, that's the worldview of religion. And the numerous gods and religions that are out there are not just like the world religions that we know of, uh, uh, Buddhism, uh, Muslim faith, okay, but are also worldviews like materialism, individualism, secularism or, or, or hedonism, which is, let's eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die, who cares, let's party. Right? Those are the gods and images of our society, of our pluralism, that people expect all of us to follow, all of us to bow down to. That kind of pressure was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said no to it. You and I are under that same pressure. When we don't feel that pressure, we're bowing down to the image. When we're not inconvenienced or hurt or, or taking it on the chin or taking a hit in some way because of that pressure, we're giving into it. We're bowing down to the image. When we're not needing to flee to God, when we're not yearning for this, this quiet time with God where we're in his word and we're praying to him and no one else is around us to foist their religion on us. It's just us and God in our quiet time. And we're, when we're not fleeing to that regularly, when we're not fleeing to our church as a refuge and a place of fellowship where like-minded people worship, when we're not yearning for that, or our soul is not thirsting for quiet time with God and time with our, our fellow people, brothers and sisters of faith, we've bowed down to the image. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods. And Martin Luther writes the explanation, what does this mean? He says, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I read a blog this last week. It was, it was interesting. It said, uh, the blog claimed that ISIS and international terrorists no longer, I don't know if they ever did, but they say, the blog said they no longer respect the United States in a sense of awe for us and respect because we're responding to terrorism, according to this blog, we respond to terrorism with teddy bears and candlelight vigils. Meaning, right, we, we mourn the losses of terrorism, not with 
a response of full-scale justice. That was the point of the blog. They wanted full-scale justice. They say, you know, we're not responding with full-scale justice. We respond with teddy bears and candlelight vigils. You can agree with that or not, but it makes a point that I thought applies also to how we can look at God sometimes. How we can lose our awe and our respect for the greatness and the glory of God, how we can clip his claws and trim his nails and domesticate and tame God because we don't want to be scared of him, because we don't want to be intimidated by him, because we don't want him to be the big boss. And we can lose our awe. Uh, and usually it doesn't happen in a, in a dramatic moment. Usually it happens bit by bit, like the frog boiling in the kettle, you know. Um, we can lose our awe over God. Like, I lose my awe over a pair of shoes. They were really cool when I bought them, and I wore them all the time, and then eventually they make their way to the back of my closet. I get bored with them. Like, we can lose the spark of a, a relationship, even a marriage. Like we can lose interest in a hobby. Like we, like, like we can have a great job and we've had it for three decades, but it's kind of getting to be the same old, same old, right? That feeling of, uh, it's just so familiar, so in front of us all the time, we can lose our awe for God. What does that look like in the Christian life? Right? I, worship can become so routine, that it just kind of becomes another thing that I might do, I might not do on a weekend, depending if I'm busy. Um, I can lose God in the everyday moments of his grace, which is a waterfall on my soul. And, I, and it's, to me, it's barely a trickle. I see crosses everywhere, cross tattoos. We see crosses on walls and cross jewelry and necklaces. And, and there's, we here today have crosses on us. We have a cross right here. And that can become so commonplace sometimes, I think. And I ask, when was the last time when I fell at the foot of the cross, weeping and rejoicing? in awe at my great God and his grace. Moses warns the Israelites about this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here's what he says, and he's talking to us too, as our eagerness and excitement for God can grow dim. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make it for yourselves an idol. For the Lord your God, listen to this, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. There's only one solution for my awe and my excitement that has grown dim, that tends to slack. There's only one solution. It's not in me. It's not in you. It's not in us. The solution for our dimmed awe is the very awe of God it's, it, itself, uh, the very greatness of God. The solution for it is that God is a consuming fire and he's a jealous God. God is a jealous lover when you're, when you're giving the love of your soul to other things and those things are draining you of your love and your attention to God. God doesn't just shrug and walk away and say, oh well. 
He is so enamored with you, so burning with passion for you, that he gets jealous of whatever else you're giving your attention to. He gets jealous as he thinks of you and looks at you and doesn't like you turning to those things with a jealous grace. That's the solution. The solution to our awe growing to him is God's jealous grace, a consuming fire where he's burning with passion for you, even when you're not burning with passion for him. He's enamored with you, with all of you. With with all of each of you, right? Your entire self, he's enamored with. With your mistakes and your sinful messes, he still burns with passion of grace for you. With just the small things that you can give him, he's enamored with you and still burning with passion with this jealous fire of God. That's the solution. So, believe in it. And repent of your awe-growing dim. And seek to build that awe back up by turning to his jealous grace and your awe will, be, will return. Uh, we see that awe in these three young men. Um, they don't have any kind of dimmed awe and respect for God. As they face the fire, God's putting them in the forest with a blindfold on, asking them to be loyal to him, asking them for their, their courage and their faith to enact a respect and an awe for God And they're surrounded by deadly peril. And here's what they say to Nebuchadnezzar, verses 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now the footnote, they keep going. But even if he does not, that doesn't change the game. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's paraphrase this, okay? Nebuchadnezzar, we believe that our God can save us. He is stronger than you are. He created fire. He can save us. And we think that he will save us. We know that if, if we go into this fire, he will make it fine. He'll protect us. We're pretty sure. But I tell you what, even if he has a different plan, because we're not God and we don't know his plan, Nebuchadnezzar, even if our God has a different plan, that doesn't change a thing. We will not worship your gods We worship, we fear, we love, we trust in our God above all things. Just for himself, not because of what he gives us. Can you relate to that? This is the awe and respect for our great God that his passion for us and his promises to us give us. That you can pray like this. That you can worship God like this and say, God, I love you just for who you are. I don't, I'm not thinking of anything you're giving me or not giving me. I love you no matter what, no matter what the consequences. I fear you and I love you and I trust you. Even if, God, you don't particularly agree with my agenda. That's okay. Yours is more important. That's what we have here. And so they fear God more than Nebuchadnezzar's fire. 
This is these three young men, like young Cherokee boys, blindfolded, put into the place of, of peril and possible death, and saying, we will not let our father down. We will not let our father down. That's the first commandment. That's you saying to God, God, I will not disown or dishonor you in any decision, big or small, in anything that I do, big or small, because you're my great and gracious Heavenly Father. Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that. Right? Remember from the, from the story, what did he do? Nebuchadnezzar, who now feels threatened, he's jealous too. He's burning with a passion too. He wants their awe. He wants the respect, but they're giving it to, to another God. He says, crank that fire up seven times. You know, what, well, what was it before? 500 degrees? 400 degrees? What does it take to, to burn a steak on the grill? You know, at maybe 350. Fine. Times seven. That's like 2,500, 3,000, 4,000 degrees. How hot is that? Hot enough to burn his strongest soldiers, right? So Nebuchadnezzar is lining up all his tools to fight this great God and saying, stepping up and saying, I'll show you greatness. Look at these big soldiers. And I'm going to tie up these men. Normally we don't tie up young boys when we throw them in the blazing furnace, but I'm going to tie up these boys. So he did everything possible. He turned the heat up, tied them up, strongest soldiers. And his soldiers died as they were tossing the men into the furnace. But the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't die. Probably thrown in from the top, and maybe the furnace somehow built into the side of a, of a cave or a mountain in some way, so it had an opening on the top and, and maybe a viewing portal or something from the side. And so then Nebuchadnezzar sees that these men are in the furnace, and lo and behold, what happens? No screams, no smell of burning flesh. You can't see a pile of ashes. Verse 25, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Eyes. Oh, He's so close, so close to who this really is. The fourth figure in the fiery furnace is none other but God himself. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, in pre-incarnate form. Meaning Jesus, who we confessed last Sunday in the Athanasian Creed, Right? Jesus, who is from eternity as much as the Father and the Spirit. Jesus from eternity, just without a body. He didn't have a body until he was born in Bethlehem. Before that time, Jesus existed. Jesus exists. Jesus was at creation. Jesus created things. Jesus appears in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, we refer to the angel of the Lord. That's most often the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, appearing as true God without his body, but in some kind of form that's recognizable. Very similar to how angels appear and can be seen, even though they're spirits. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, not just a Son of many gods, the Son of God appearing 
unconsumed, unburned, God in the fire. Here's something that John the Baptist, this great preacher and prophet before Jesus, appeared on the scene in the New Testament. Here's something that John the Baptist said about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus had the fire. Walking in the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar was Jesus' fire. Saying no to the hot temptations of the devil in the desert was Jesus' fire. Sweating in Gethsemane as he prayed to his father and his father answered, Here is the cup, you drink all of it, my son, was his fire. Burning with searing pain as the thorns on the crown pierced his skull and as the whip lacerated the flesh on his back and as the nails pierced his hands was his fire. Becoming alive in the grave and descending into hell where the fire is not just seven times hotter, but infinitely hot, and being unconsumed and unburned, and returning to his glory on this earth to make resurrection appearances alive and well, is his fire. And he baptizes you into it. So it is your fire too. Do you have a burning desire to fear, love, and trust in God above all things? He gives it to you through his own son who walked through the ultimate furnace of fire. And now that Jesus has walked through that ultimate furnace, that ultimate fire, he's, he's with you in your smaller fires. And I know, I know, I feel it, I, I say it, our fires seem so much hotter. Our fires, our furnaces seem so much bigger, so much more painful, so much more threatening. And they're, they're just small little pilot lights compared to the ultimate furnace and fire that Jesus went through for you and he conquered. And now you go through any of your Fires, and they're not small because they're, it's not that they're inconsequential. They're small because he's walking with you in them. He's God in the fire. And you will be unharmed, and you will be unburned, and you will come out alive. The Son of God. So what is your forest right now, right now in your life? What's your forest where God has blindfolded you and sat you on a stump and said, I need you to wait here all night and don't flinch? What is your fire right now that is causing you pain or, or inconvenience or, or you're taking a hit in some way because you fear and love and you trust God above all things and there's still the pain? The first commandment says that God is in it. 
And that his greatness and his goodness, which you can't always see, you're blindfolded to it, is there. And you believe it, and you say, I'm, I'm not going to let my father down. And he says the same about you. Fear God in the fire. That's the first commandment. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are the greatest of all gods. You are the only true God. Great, not just because of your power and your splendor and your majesty, but your glory, you say, is found in us in your relationship with us as you save us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless us today as we consider the first and greatest of all commandments. It is the heaviest of all, the biggest of all, the most consequential of all. And we know that if we keep this first commandment, we keep all commandments. Teach our hearts, Lord. Father, put us on your lap and whisper into our souls. Make us more enamored of you and your grace so that we can live in that grace and we can show that grace to others. In Jesus' name, amen.